We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to Dove Valley Deep Divers with Eric Trickle and Lance Sanderson. Ball comes out of the hands of Newton. It's on the ground, picked up by T.J. Ward at the four-yard line. Vaughn Miller did it again. On Overtime Media. Much like last week, you know, season of the lists, we've got projections coming out. We're going to break down from Mike Clay going into the defensive side of the football. It's the dog days of summer, man. How you doing? I'm doing good. Really exhausted. I mean, yesterday was the little one's sixth birthday. So uh, exhausted from that. But doing good. I've been, you know, just trying to figure out content to get out there for uh, on mileahuddle.com and uh, just working on getting that out there, getting that all taken care of. Working, already getting started on stuff for the 2024 NFL draft. I've mm-hmm. um, got a couple articles on that coming out soon. So. Nice. It's it's been busy, nose to the grindstone, trying to get things done. But uh, I'm going to take a little break and you know chat some Broncos football. Yeah, it's it's going to be fun here. I'm going to get started on some of my draft stuff here over the next few days. I've been listening to a bunch of podcasts, kind of getting an idea of some names to kind of keep an eye on. Uh, really listening to Trevor Sikama and Connor Rogers over at PFF. They do a really good job. I really like their show. Um, so I'm I'm very intrigued by this by this class so far. Obviously the quarterbacks, you know the the big names, Caleb Williams from USC, guys like that. Um, Drake May from um, North Carolina. Um, there's a a kid from Florida State. I can't remember his name right now. They, they ran through some running backs and some tight ends uh, over the last couple of weeks. So looking forward to getting into some of that as well. So I'm really just kind of excited. You know, it, it's it's the boring time of year, but you know what? It's never a bad time to talk Denver Broncos football. Uh, let's say hello to everybody in the chat. First things first, we got a couple of super chats right off the top. Papa Bear, David McElrath jumping in off the top rope with a $20 super to get everything started. Thanks, Dave. We appreciate you, man. Saying good evening, Broncos country. Lance, Eric, Dylan, and Deacon Scott. No, Scott, as of yet, we have not been told if he's going to be here or not tonight. So hopefully he'll jump in here in just a little bit. Uh, hashtag MHH for life. Hashtag Buckham three times. Hashtag Denver Broncos for life. Thank you, Dave. We appreciate that 100%, man. Um, we also have Troy Boer in the hizzy saying, here he is, uh, with a $10 super chat. Hey, guys, do you think the reason we have not signed another interior defensive lineman is because the second-year players are really impressing? I want to just continue to say hello to everybody really fast before we jump into this because this is a great kicking-off point for our topic for tonight. We got Dylan Von Arks in the house, Todd Osendorf as well, Kevin Gray. What's going on, Kevin? How are we doing? Uh, Elliot is crazy. Um, yeah, uh, 
Ernie's in the house as well. Jason McKeever, um, Philip Hogginson. I believe I pronounced that name correctly. If I didn't, please let me know. Uh, thank you all for joining us and thank you all for your guys' support. Eric, let's get right into this here. Obviously with Troy's super chat here asking, why have the Broncos not signed an interior defensive lineman? Is it because Matt Henningsen and Iomo Lazarike are impressing at OTAs and minicamps thus far? I mean, all OTAs and minicamp are is just it's installation. You're not running things full speed. There's next to no contact. Like if they're impressing in any way, it's they're they're impressing with how they're picking up the defense and not with what they're doing on the field. Um. So I don't really – I don't think that's why they haven't done it. I think they have high hopes for them. And maybe there's a couple guys that they're looking at on the free agent market that are like, once we get into training camp and get to actually see these guys, you know, actually get down and get dirty, that some of these free agents out there, some of these veterans that they're looking at, they'll still be, able to be available. And if they're not if they're not standing out, if they're not showing, like, the growth that they need to – then they'll go out there and look at getting another vet. So I just think it's a matter of the timing aspect of it more than anything, uh, just getting into training camp and actually getting to see what they can do on the field. Yeah. It, the lack of content is obviously the the big issue here. You know, you're going 50%, maybe 75%, something like that. You're not going, there, there's very little, if any contact allowed period, like you can barely even hardly touch each other out there. So it, it is hard to see, you know, are, are these guys holding up well and like sustaining their gaps in the running game? Are they getting quality penetration as pass rushers and stuff like that? I, I do want to kind of elaborate on this and I want to go first things first to Iomo Wazurike. Uh, last year he played, Okay. I mean, he showed some of that potential. Um, the, the issues in the running game that we saw at Iowa State were definitely very prevalent with him, but he did get a, a couple of decent opportunities to get after the quarterback. So, uh, moving like, let's, let's just jump into well, the projection. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I would say, like, early on when this, when we saw him in the season, like, because we got to see him, like, in the first few weeks. I know we saw him quite a bit against the, the Colts. Um, I think we saw him against the Chargers there in the earlier game of the season against the Jets. Those games he really struggled, but when we got later in the season and he was being out on the field a little bit more consistently, we saw him kind of settle down and be a little bit more consistent and saw the flashes that made him such an intriguing draft prospect to me and why he made him one of my favorites. But it's still one of those things that you got to still see him grow off of that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think it was I think it was a season closer where he ended up picking up like where he ended up hitting Justin Herbert got a hit on Justin Herbert picked up a couple more pressures on him as well like mm-hmm. really stood out as a pass rusher. But with interior defensive linemen, it's always worth remembering, especially guys who are making such a dramatic shift in what they did from college to the NFL. Two to three years is typically what it takes mm-hmm. for Iwazarike. I mean, it's probably going to be closer to that three year mark because he's going from basically being a stand up edge to being a actual interior defensive lineman. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. He did play a lot of that five technique, kind of standing up. He played some three technique as well, but they they really didn't use him as an interior pass rusher. He did a lot of twists and stunts, moving around like uh, end tackle twists and bringing some linebackers to help him and then peeling him back around the outside. So, um, which was really interesting for a guy his size. I mean, he's over 300 pounds, he's 6'4", I think he, and he's got, what, 35 and a half inch arms. Like he's super long. He's got a great skill set to, to go with him. But a guy that size that showed the ability to not only have have the lower half fluidity and just the bend to be able to he did show some bend coming around the edge at Iowa State so 
to see him now have to, you, you know, take on some double teams. He's obviously taken guards on, maybe he's taken some tackles on as well. If he's playing that, that four eye technique, um, for him to have to work through that and really be an interior defensive lineman, it's a new role for him, and he's still going to have to learn how to, to play that role. Uh, there's also some opportunity for him as a pass rusher as a zero technique. I mean, he showed a little bit of that at Iowa State as well. In fact, there was a one specific rep against Iowa where he went up against Tyler Linderbaum, who was a first-round pick at the center position, and he did a push-pull technique, and he ragdolled a first-round pick, threw him aside, and went and got a sack on him. It was a beautiful, beautiful rep. So he has the ability to get there. He has the ability to become – a high quality pass rusher in the NFL. We just got to let him c- to continue to grow a little bit here. We've got Gary Palmer jumping in here before we jump into this uh, $20 super chat off the top rope. What's up GLP. Thank you for joining us, man. Saying, Hey Lance, Eric, Scott, and Dylan, uh, some Broncos, uh, some Broncos country love uh, DB four L MHH for life. Buckham with a B YouTube. Don't cancel me. I'm sorry, but uh, thank you, Gary, for your support. Thank you all for joining us here on a wonderful, wonderful Friday evening. Now, Let's jump right into this. Let's continue this Owazarike conversation. Uh, Eric, you and I kind of went through these numbers. This is Mike Clay from ESPN. Uh, similar to last week, we went through the offensive projections. We're going to go through the defensive side of the football this week. But Ayoma Owazarike, Mike Clay has him at 271 snaps this season, 21 tackles, only one sack. This, to me, seems like a very low number for a guy. And I understand, I just said, you got to let him develop, got to let him grow. But you're really banking on him to be one of the guys as of right now. And is he capable of being a guy to get over, you know, like where Mike Purcell is at, 488 snaps? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So my thing is, is like he's only projecting him to play just a little over a hundred more snaps this year, and with the Broncos' depth on the defensive line, I have a hard time seeing that. I have a hard time seeing Mike Purcell playing almost five hundred snaps on this defensive line, just because of how little they will. They're probably going to use true three down, or th- true a true three down front, three down man front. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a lot of two guys. It's going to be a lot of bare fronts. Um, so I think that if we're not getting him on the field, 
if he is seeing, let me say, let me rephrase that. If he's not getting more than about 300, 350 snaps on the field, it means he's not going to be something to me. Right. It means he's not impressing in practice. He's not doing enough. He's not showing up enough. Or what opportunities he got early on the season, he faltered and, you know, he let it slip through his grasp and he's basically getting benched. I cannot see Uwazurika and Henningsen combining for less than 500 snaps. I, I, like, mm-hmm. I think both, I think combined they're going to push 600 snaps mm-hmm. because they're the second year guys. You want to get them out there on the field, especially with Mike Purcell's age um, and just his contract status. You want to see what you have in those guys. Um, so I think that the, the snap count is a little low for them. Um, and I think the sack count, I think about one sack for Matt Henningsen, that, that's fair. Like, he's not really a pass rusher. He's more of a run defender. Uazurike is getting just 1.1. Like, with how they do their projections and everything, it's based off of career stats and everything like that. So a guy who's only played 165 snaps and doesn't have a sack, he's not going to get a lot of, you know, be projected to get a lot of sacks. So that, that's that's some issues with these projections here. But overall, on the defensive line, outside of the snap counts, I think that they're they're pretty online with what I'm expecting out of them for the most part. Yeah, I don't disagree with you, especially when it comes to Mike Purcell. I mean, getting 488 snaps for a guy that plays specifically the zero and one technique nose tackle in a defense that doesn't necessarily feature a guy like that more often than not. Like getting him over 400 snaps seems a little bit wonky to me. And not to say that, you know, Henningsen and Uazarike can't play that, but they're more versatile. They can still play, you know, outside as far as the four eye technique on the inside shade of the offensive tackle. So it like with Purcell and his limited skill set, and he's also not the best pass rusher, at least Henningsen, who he may not be the best pass rusher in the world either. He brings a lot of effort and he, he just has those hustle plays. He's a, a quality run defender. He has the ability to get after the passer as well. Purcell is so limited in what he does to get 488 snaps on this defense doesn't make sense to me. And Elliot is crazy jumped in here and he says, and I'm going to be full disclosure. I'm not exactly sure, but he asks, how does ESPN determine these projections? Seems like it's pretty complicated. It, it is pretty complicated. I know a part of it was former past years, like don't always equal future production, but you can get kind of an idea of what they're doing here. I think that Mike Clay bit off a little bit more that he could choose with this one though. I mean, he's done it every year for the past yeah. few years, and it's yeah. it's what he all what he takes into consideration with it is like he takes age into consider age into consideration, injury history. He takes you know previous production, and it's a whole formula that he has to try and uh, project early um, project success for the next season. And Sometimes he's pretty spot on with what he gets. Sometimes he's not. Mm-hmm. That's just how it is when you're doing projections like that, when you're taking so much information, because mm-hmm. you can't project an injury. Like, um, knock on – well, actually, I won't even use a Broncos player for this. Um, so you're trying to project Ma- uh, Mac Jones' stats as a quarterback. Well, you can't project him with everything that he's done in his career already. You can't project him to go out there and tear his ACL in week two. Right. Mm-hmm. And miss the season. Like, there's no projecting that. So there's a lot of variables into it, and that's something that Mike Clay, when he does talk about this, he often like reminds people, um, people who try to you know dunk on him because he was so wrong in the preseason. It's like, well, the guy was coming off a torn ACL last year. 
barely played, so that's going to lower the projections a little bit because mm-hmm. I can't project how well he's going to recover. It was kind of the conversation we were having a little bit last week with mm-hmm. Javante Williams and where yep. we stand on him. Yep. It's kind of the same thing. So it takes in everything. It takes in advanced analytics from like pro football focus and football outsiders and all these things, and even you know the advanced analytics that ESPN does. So it takes everything into consideration to go this out. It's a lot of information that you go out there, and it just creates for a fun discussion and a fun thing to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, so going back to Mike Purcell, this would be his second highest snap total in a season, mm-hmm. 488, behind last year, mm-hmm. where last year where DJ Jones missed some ga- multiple games, Draymond Jones missed multiple games, um, uh, Deshaun Williams missed some time. Like They were dealing with so many injuries on the defensive line and having to constantly rotate um, people out where the guy who played the most snaps on the defensive line, well, that was Draymond Jones at 715, which we kind of see there. I mean, Zach Allen, that's taken that, that spot. Then we have Deshaun Williams and Dream, and DJ Jones playing just about over 550, but not quite 600. So Mike Purcell, at his age, playing the second highest snap total after he just played the, his highest, is a little... um hard for me to to see happening and it will be only the third time that he's played more than 400 snaps in a season he has always been just a limited role piece in it and that just goes back to the whole thing that i've been saying a lot the broncos need to add to the into your defensive line room Mm -hmm. because if you're looking at zach allen dj jones and mike purcell being your top three well then you're not doing enough to improve the room yeah absolutely and and that also means like you said earlier that if it was Rike doesn't get closer to 350 snaps this season, he's not showing enough. He's not going to turn into a guy that, that we think he could be as a, as a quality interior pass rusher playing, you know, that three technique, four technique, something like that. Like there, there's, there's a problem there and you, you got to get a lot better than that. Uh, quickly to, to round out our Mike Purcell con- conversation before we jump over to, to Zach Allen here, uh, Purcell is going into his 32 year old season. Uh, his, according to this is spotrack.com. Um, his cap hit is $3.786 million, a dead cap $2.86 million. So if the Broncos did decide to move on from him uh, sometime during the season, uh, before the season started, and his uh, salary did guarantee, uh, they would move uh, save $3.5 million against the salary cap. So keep your eyes on that. Eric and I have brought that up multiple different con- times over the course of the offseason, and even last season, that Mike Purcell is definitely a, a camp casualty, uh, salary cap casualty kind of a player to watch out for, especially if they do go out and sign a guy. And Eric, I asked you this question earlier. I'll let you drop the name. Is there a defensive tackle out there on the board that's available that you would like to see the Broncos bring in? I mean, there's multiple guys. I mean, and it just depends on what you want to do. For me, you're looking at replacing Deshaun Williams, who played 598 snaps last year as basically one of your starting three, Matt Ioannidis. He's done that role. He did that role in Washington, or he's done that role. Yeah, he done that. He did that role in Washington. He's done it in Carolina. He's played that exact role that they're looking for, and he's still available as a free agent. If you want to get a little cheaper with nose tackle, well, you got a couple undrafted free agents or cheap options on the roster already that can probably fill in and do it. Mm-hmm. And there are some veterans out there that can also step in and fill that role. So mm-hmm. I don't think they'll I don't think they'll part ways with Mike Purcell. I think even at his cost, he still brings value as a rotational defensive lineman, but not one of your top three guys. He he's yeah. better as like that fourth or fifth guy 
that's coming in in very obvious running situations, mm-hmm. eating up space, eating up blockers, and letting your linebackers flow through the hole to get to the ball carrier. I think he still has brings a lot of value in that, but just not much more than that at this time. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I think that he's going to be see a lot of time in goal line situations and early in drives, specifically uh, if teams are backed up inside of their own 35 yard line, you know, starting, starting the game off, you're going to see Purcell out there uh, first and second down stuff like that. And then obvious, like you said, running situations where um, goal line situations where he can just be that, that space eater. Um, I got a question I want to grab here from Roy, but we're going to wait to do that. I want to jump into Zach Allen conversation here a little bit. This was one of the prize free agents that the Broncos brought in on the defense, obviously um, signing him to a big, what was it? Three years and $65 million or something like, I can't remember exactly the contract, but it was the one big free agent signing that the Broncos brought in on the defensive line to replace Draymond Jones. Um, Obviously with his experience in Arizona um, underneath Vance Joseph was a player that the Broncos had their eye on to kind of, I think it's three years, 45 million. So it was 15 million APY. So, um, but with, with Zach Allen here, uh, 813 snaps to lead the defensive line, 60 tackles as well, six total sacks. I believe he had nine and a half last season, so it's kind of a step back. But this, to me, needs to be more. But you're, you're going to go out and pay a guy $15 million on average per season. I, I want this to be more. Why do you think that Mike Clay has these numbers as low as they are in terms of the sack total? Well, I mean, because his career numbers just aren't great. Mm-hmm. He hasn't really broken out. He didn't really break out as a um, pass rusher until last year. Okay. I mean, he was dealing dealt with multiple injuries early on. So, like, and then when you actually look at what he did last year when he broke out, five and a half sacks. Right. Like, he has 11 and a half sacks in his, his four-year career right now. Right. Um. So, it's just... This is when I what I always go back to is with the signing. He's a great run defender, but as a pass rusher, like there just are issues being consistent enough. And real quick, just to just to be that guy, his contract's technically a four year deal, just the four year, fourth year voids, right? Like, well, it, which it, is it's a flawed a- argument. I, I hate void years. Oh, I, th- I think it's stupid and it's a way to work on go. But anyways, what going back to Zach Allen, with what they paid him. I'm with you. You want more than six sacks, period. Mm-hmm. Right. You just you just want more. Yeah, you you want way more than that. You want to be closer to that nine, ten sack season yeah. if you can at least get there. Get him closer to double digits, especially as one of the primary. I'm not going to call him an edge defender because that's not really what he is. He's not a stand up guy coming off the edge like that. But as a, a four eye technique, five technique kind of a player playing straight up over the tackle, you really want him to be a lot more effective than that. You want him to be able to impact the pocket, get around the edge, maybe even occupy some space, get some cleanup sacks and stuff like that for the edge defenders that we're going to get into here in just a couple of minutes. But I do want to grab this from Roy Osborne. And I, I know it's not necessarily Broncos related, but I do have an opinion on this. He says, good evening, Eric and Lance. What do you think about all the layoffs at ESPN? I wonder what is going on. Um, This to me, like I said, it's not Broncos related. I just want to get my opinion out there on this. This to me screams just cost cutting. Um, Obviously, if you guys know kind of what's going on, they signed um, Pat McAfee to do his radio show as like under underneath the ESPN umbrella. And they are paying him a lot of money to do so. The, the layoffs that they got going on, got, uh, people like Susie Kohlberg, Matt Hasselbeck, um, the like Keyshawn Johnson, Jason Williams, um, 
Jeff Van Gundy. Those were all like tertiary guys. Keyshawn had his radio show with Max Kellerman and Max got laid off too. Those guys are like tertiary figures at ESPN. They're not really like the big moneymaker people. Susie Colbert works like four months out of the year and it's during the NFL season. Jeff Van Gundy only calls games on ESPN. Like he didn't have a major analyst role. This is just a cost cutting deal. I don't think it's a huge deal, but they needed to open up some room to be able to pay Pat McAfee what they decided they were going to because they want to use him and his podcast to bring in a new audience back to ESPN and just kind of start the station over again. So that's just my quick one to Eric. Do you have anything that you want to say on that or we pretty much covered all? They had plenty of money to keep them like they didn't have to fire them, but they're going to label it as cost cutting. It's mm-hmm. simple. It's just it's business like mm-hmm. it's business. Yeah. yeah um, talking about the Interior defensive line, Keith Brogman comes in. How big of a role do you see Tyler Lancaster having for the Broncos? Well, Tyler Lancaster is not is obviously not on the projections for um from Mike Clay. And my question is, does he make the roster? Mm-hmm. I, like, I, do, you, do you think he does? No, I don't. I think that he's got a better shot. Tra- like if he makes the roster, then something drastic happens. Somebody got hurt is my big thing. And he also showed out that he has the ability to, to play for this Broncos defense. I think he's going to have a hard time making the practice squad. Like there's an opportunity better for him to be there, but I, I don't see him being a guy or an impact player unless massive onslaught of injuries comes a- across the, the defensive line. He- Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. He just, in his career, I mean, he's seen a lot of snaps. He's played over almost 1,500 snaps over four years. But it's always been as like that fifth or sixth guy on that rotation in Green Bay that got more snaps because of injury. Yep. Like somebody got hurt, we're going to need you to use a little bit more. Instead of the sixth guy, now you're the fifth guy, or the, you're now you're the fourth guy. That kind of thing. And as much issues as I have with the depth on this, I think that there's a chance he can make it. And the guy I'm looking at is Jonathan Harris. Yeah, like that that final spot to me is up for grabs at the moment. Who is that six interior defensive lineman? I have a gut feeling that they're end up going a veteran route, get going getting somebody who's still a free agent to fill in that final spot. And then you're essentially seeing Matt Henningsen and Aoma Wazareke being that fifth and sixth guy right right now. Um, but if not, like maybe Lancaster can fit in there. Um, like it, it's just unknown at the moment because I think there's a pretty big gap between the top five interior defensive lineman and the rest mm-hmm. like there's a there's a pretty big gap we've seen jonathan harris on the field multiple times and absolutely just get blasted like yeah he's so he's a replacement level player and tyler uh tyler lancaster is much much the same replacement level player if he does make the roster good for him but i, I think that practice squad is probably the best bet for him to to make this to make this team moving forward um I think that probably yeah. Let's let's jump onto the outside here just a little bit because the this one's hard. This one actually kind of has me not really mad by any stretch of the imagination. Just kind of 
No, I want to go to the edge, Eric. Go, go back up to the I edge. I know. I'm trying to get my computer to cooperate, okay? <laughs> there we go. I love technology. But so the, the big thing here that steps out with the, with the Broncos edge defenders is obviously up at the very top of the list. You have veteran former Kansas City Chief, former Seattle Seahawk Frank Clark, who was recently signed by the Broncos as the leading snap getter coming off the edge and the leading sack artist coming off the edge with seven total sacks. This to me is, I don't want to necessarily say an issue, but problematic because, and I understand Baron Browning's coming off of a arthroscopic knee surgery. Randy Gregory's coming off a of shoulder surgery. So you got injury concerns there, but Frank Clark is the leading snap getter coming off of the edge. Eric, what's your big takeaway on that? Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if he is. Okay. Like I just, and, and the biggest, the biggest reason is, he is the most reliable one to stay on the field. It's a fair point. That is a, that right. is a fair. That, point. That's the biggest reason for it. Yeah, it, it's just it's shocking to me to see you know um, the 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 amount of investment they made in Randy Gregory, the amount of investment they made in Baron Browning to try to you know move him from off ball linebacker to edge, and he was more of a hybrid at Ohio State than that. But um, the amount the amount of um, effort and everything from the previous coaching staff. That, that's a good point. You know, you 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 actually have a very good point there. But the the big salary that you paid to Randy Gregory did not get him over six hundred snaps. You're talking injury that the essential former GM handed out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sean Payton's the decision maker now. George Payton handed that contract out. Right. Well, now Sean Payton is the guy in charge. So, yeah, they handed Randy Gregory this big contract, and there was a discussion this year of do we move on from Randy Gregory now. Mm-hmm. because he got hurt and missed so much time and then there was the whole attitude stuff on the sideline and the rams game and and you know in practice the joint practices with the dallas cowboys like he was an instigator so there was a lot of like there was that internal discussion didn't make fi- make financial sense but it does after this year so with his injuries and everything like that like there's just so much going against randy gregory and like as much as as big as his contract is it's not guaranteeing him and to be in Denver for beyond this year. And everything was done by the previous, basically essentially the previous regime. Right. And I'm, I'm not going to disagree with anything that you just said. You're absolutely correct. Bringing up all, all big facts here. My thing is moving forward. This season is upon us and we got to try to figure out what we're doing here at the edge position and to see Randy Gregory play less than 600 snaps. You're either projecting him to get hurt again, suspended again, but you need to have that number way higher than that. That's a problem to me. And especially when you look down at the lower end of the roster here, Jonathan Cooper getting 217 snaps. That's about right. But Nick Benito only getting 184 snaps. (laughs) If you have Baron Browning and uh, Randy Gregory combining for less than a thousand total snaps, that or actually my math is wrong about 1050 total snaps that's a that's that's a problem i i think that there's i think you need to get those guys more snaps frank clark needs to be um more of a he's going to be like you said he's going to be the guy that's going to be the most reliable option to be out there all of the time but i i need to see more from randy gregory and baron browning moving forward absolutely do they both got to show they can stay on the field that's true. You're right. You're right. Like, right. If Randy Gregory can stay on the field, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up having the most snaps. Mm-hmm. But can he stay on the field? Baron Browning, he's the third guy. I would expect, like, if he can stay on the field, like, yeah, he's going to have a higher snap count. It's absolutely hilarious to me that Nick Benito is the lowest guy. Yeah. Because yeah. there's a lot that, another thing that Mike Clay, when we talk about this, he does ask around. He does try to get insight into what's going on how do they feel how do they feel about certain players so having nick benito being the last guy at edge having 184 snaps does 
say something a little bit about what they're seeing with it. And it's the same thing with Matt Henningsen and Uwazariki too. I mean, yep. I just didn't mention that then and totally spaced it. But it's also, I mean, how little Nick Benito played also plays a factor into it. Well, and how so, how bad he was too. Like, let's be honest here. Nick Benito in his time on the field was not good. He got washed out in the running game constantly. The one big sack that he did have last season came on a very awkward looking spin move against the Jacksonville Jaguars, where he kind of crossed the face of the tackle and the tackle overbit on the inside shoulder. And he kind of like pirouetted very awkwardly and landed up in, and ended up in Trevor Lawrence's lap. Like it wasn't like a great play by any stretch of the imagination. Nick Bonito has a long ways to go. It's part of the reason why, and I don't want to speak for you, Eric, but I'll speak for myself. And I, based on my memory, you were not a big fan of Nick Benito at 64 last season either. Like this was a problem. He was one of the worst run defending edge defenders in the draft last season, just point blank period. He was awful. And you make him a second round pick. Like that was a, that was a problem for me. And he's got a long ways to go. He's got to develop better functional strength. He's got to better develop better technique against the running game. Like there's a long ways. And to see 184 snaps, like you're on your way out after that, buddy. Like you better pick it up and figure it oh. out because th- th- that's that's unacceptable. Unacceptable from a top 64 player to to get less than 200 snaps in a rotation that features. And I know I'm going back on my words here, but you've got Randy Gregory and Baron Browning that are not going to play 600 snaps apiece, and you can't get Nick Benito on the field for more than 200 snaps. That's a big freaking problem. And like I didn't realize how much Nick Benito actually played last year. He played almost he played over 350 snaps mm-hmm. last year. I didn't realize that it was that much. I was thinking it was like right around 200, um, just because his play was so forgettable. Um, and I, I'm not trying to harp on the guy or anything like that. I wasn't a big fan of his run defense. His run defense has been absolutely atrocious since he's been with Denver. He's had a couple of those, you know, nice plays getting pressures on it. He had a good game against Indianapolis, but context here every single pass rusher had a good game in that game (laughs) for the colts and the broncos like it was just a complete slot fest of offensive line play um and then he had a he he actually had a pretty good game against kansas city um the first time i think where he did a good a good job getting some good pressure on patrick mahomes he just couldn't finish um, that was a big issue I had with him going back to Oklahoma. He had a decent number of sacks or a good number of sacks, but there were so many missed opportunities because he just didn't have the strength or the size or the build to finish them. And he was able to get broken out. So going back on this, like to all this Frank Clark, if he's the top guy, then that's a little, that's extremely telling, uh, for every single other edge you have. Yep. If things turn out like this, Randy Gregory isn't with the Broncos next year. Mm-hmm. Nick Benito's name is going to be all over in trade rumors. Jonathan Cooper, like they're going to be looking at completely rebuilding this edge room, basically, because guess what? Frank Clark is also a free agent. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got to see more out of all of these guys, with the with really with the exception of Frank Clark, like with what he's projected to get, that's about in line with what what I'm expecting out of him for the type of player that he is. Yeah. You just got to get more out of everybody else. And like between with the number of sacks the Broncos have, like overall, like on this whole thing, it's what 30. Hold on, real quick. I can zoom down. Eh, too much. What? 40 sacks. 32, 40 sacks. Yeah. 40 sacks. That is not good no. enough. No, you that's want- not even in the top half. That, that's not even top 16. That's barely top 20. 
you want to be closer to, to the 50 number. If you can eclipse the 50 number, you're in the top 12 in the NFL in terms of total sack numbers. I mean, what the Eagles, I think, set a, are really close to an NFL record. They got like almost 70. They, they got it, right on 70. Yeah, right on 70. Yep. And like, that's, that's huge. That's massive quarterback pressure. And that doesn't include all the times that they got after the quarterback and didn't, didn't get him down to the ground. I think they led the NFL in pressures too. So like that 40, 40 total sacks. I wish he did do some pressures numbers here because maybe that would balance out the numbers a little bit. You can't always project pressures, but at the same time, this is something Eric, you and I always talked about. Pressure statistics are the greatest indicator of future pass rush success. So that is something that most teams need to be looking at. The higher your pressure numbers are, the more likely you are to be able to get home. If you're still around the quarterback, there's going to be opportunities for you to get home and get that quarterback down to the ground. So well, remember this, pressure numbers are the greatest future predictor for future pass rush success. Yeah. And the biggest thing is like, and it's not, it's not, it's not necessarily that for future success, it's more so for sustained success. Yes. High players with high pressure counts tend to keep high pressure counts. Sack numbers fluctuate. I mean, you can you consistently have a few guys who are constantly in the top 10. Those guys are elite, but outside of that, it fluctuates a lot. Yep. And the philosophy is, and Bill Belichick's talked about this. Um uh Nick Saban's talked about it in with college football, like a lot of Mike Tomlin, a lot of great coaches have talked about this. It's because, like, if you're getting ten sacks a game, but twenty and but twenty five pressures, you're only inflicting pressure on twenty five plays. Mm -hmm. But if you're getting fifty pressures and seven sacks, sorry, thirty five plays on the first one. Sorry, that is fifty seven. Like. They would. There's a lot of teams out there that would take a higher pressure total, mm -hmm. because guess what? A sack that ends the play. A pressure, you're opening yourself up for even more. Yeah. And it's that whole like, um, would you take? Would you take a sack or would you take what's in the box? Or would you take the boat or what's in the box? You know that that old thing, the Family Guy meme. Like it's kind of like that, and teams will rather take the box basically because that box could be an interception. That box right. could be an interception return for a touchdown. Mm -hmm. That box could be so much more it could lead to a penalty against the offense other than just a sack where you lose some yards and they keep the ball it's just the ability to open up and get to have that potentiality to get the ball for your own offense mm -hmm. yeah that's why a lot of teams prefer look for pressure totals over sack totals yeah. Before we jump up to the linebackers position, we want to grab this question here from Cristiano, who says, good evening. It's the first time he's been able to catch DVDD live in a while. Even though you're late, it's fine, Cristiano. We, we accept your apology and better be on time and more. Uh, <laughs> what's that word? What's that? Word? Uh, I can't remember. Anyways, uh, regardless, thank you for joining us, man. He, he's asking, can Christopher Allen, uh, last year undrafted free agent out of Alabama, can Christopher Allen be a dark horse to contribute at edge this season? And Eric, this is a question that I've seen kind of tossed around a lot. It's been over the last what, three or four weeks here on, on DVDD. And we, we also got to talk about Thomas Incombe, the undrafted rookie free agent for Central Michigan this last season, who I got a chance to watch some of his tape, um, very developmental, um, a really good run defender, but he needs to develop a little bit more in the pass rush. But Christopher Allen is a guy that has twitch, has been, has an injury history, which is probably why he went undrafted. Is this a guy that Nick Benito needs to look out for? No, 
Nick Benito is going to make the roster. Like, okay. unless, unless some team comes in with a trade that's basically giving Denver what they gave, what the return investment they gave up for him, they're not going to give up on Nick Benito after a year. Like, plain and simple. If they're going to, they would have traded him by now. Okay. Um, but again, I mean, maybe some team, you know, suffers a bad injury to their top guy and they come in like, we'll give you a, give you a third and a, a fifth or whatever. Like it's gonna take something astronomical to get Nick Benito is what I'm getting at. Okay. Um Chris Allen, he could be a dark heart, dark horse. My thing is I think they keep six edges. Um, and this only has five, so there's obviously that room for that last one. Okay. Uh, my thing is my mouse is breaking on me. But anyways, so there's all there's that room for that extra. For me, it currently goes to Thomas and Coombe. Because he is proven on special teams, he's a proven run defender, mm-hmm. and he's still developing as a pass rusher. And I think special teams and run defense is going to be the difference maker. Chris Allen, for me, he's played less than 100 snaps in college of football between college and the NFL right now. Injuries, such a major thing. Why he's played so little. His top season, I mean, he played had a really good season in 2020, where he picked up 36 pressures on just under five, uh, just under 600 snaps. Um, getting six six sacks in that time frame, but missed tackles twenty three point three percent missed tackles. Like he's just pass rush ability is there, but run defense non existent. Mm-hmm. And are you going to pair at the bottom of your depth chart and bring in yet another bad run defender yeah. like with Nick Benito there, right? Uh, with Randy Gregory there, who's not great, like. He's an opportunity. He's an opportunist run defender, so he'll he'll force fumbles and everything like that. But he'll also miss a lot, miss a decent amount. Mm-hmm. Baron Browning, who's decent, not great, still growing. Yes. Jonathan Cooper, who is inconsistent, like. And you want to bring it like that for me is why I go Thomas and Coombe over Chris Allen. But Chris Allen definitely can have a part to play. Yeah, I I don't disagree with you, especially when you come into just the run defense alone, because like you said, Jonathan Cooper very inconsistent. Baron Browning. Still growing, but very inconsistent. Randy Gregory's never been a good run defender like ever, and it, it very inconsistent there. Frank Clark's good in run defense, but if you need a guy that you can throw out there for, I don't know, what, 10 snaps a game or so, something like that, just to be a, a true edge defender that can hold up in the running game, obvious running down situations. Uh, Incum has the goods to be able to do that. I really liked what I saw. I watched, what, four or five games of him from Central Michigan this last season, and I'm, I'm very intrigued. I think that there's some tools. I wish he had a little bit more bend than he does as a pass rusher, but I mean, there's there's room for bull rushers in the NFL, and he can definitely be a guy to to step forward and and just kind of take over the end of that, that edge defense. Um, Keith Brugman jumping in here, give predictions for breakout player the, uh, on defense this year. We'll do that at the end of the show, Eric. I have one in mind that I really want to kind of to to point out. Um, but let's move to the uh, the off ball linebacker position, and this was another one. And Eric, you and I both kind of came to an agreement here. Josie Jewell being the leading snap taker at the off ball linebacker position, uh, also leading the team in tackles, sacks. I can understand, but leading the team in tackles when you have Alex Singleton, who was top five in tackles last season and snaps played at the linebacker position last season, that to me just doesn't add up, man. What do you think? Yeah, I think Alex Singleton, he's going to be the guy at linebacker. Me too. Um, so he, he's going to be the top guy. I think he's going to be easily have the most snaps. Um, he's going to end up having the most tackles because the dude's just a tackle machine. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that could possibly go against that is 
his issues in coverage, and we saw it a lot last year. Yeah, maybe that pulls him down a little bit. And at least Josie Jewell, Josie Jewell's not great in coverage. Not saying he is. He is better than Alex Singleton, though. Mm-hmm. And maybe that can be the difference there. But I don't think that it's going to be almost 300 snap difference if that no. is the case. No. But also on that note, I think Drew Sanders is going to pull more snaps from Josie Jewell than Alex Singleton. Mm-hmm. So I think that I think overall we'll probably have um, two linebackers between about 700 and 850. And I think Drew Sanders is going to be closer to 500 or 400 snaps there. Um, just getting a little bit more because they absolutely love this guy. They want to get him out on the field right away. Um, and uh, actually, as we're talking about, Chase Wilner comes in. Do you guys feel differently on Singleton now versus time last year? Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I was wrong on my point on my opinion on Singleton last year. Likewise, to me, he was just a special teams guy. Like I did not like him on defense. He didn't scrape very well against the run. He was always like consistently lost in coverage. And at least this last year, there were still issues in in coverage. Like that, I still feel am pretty confident in that mm-hmm. he's just not a great coverage linebacker. But he showed a lot better scraping against the run, yes. scraping laterally, sticking with it, and finding the finding the open hole and doing that. He did a lot better than than I thought he would as a run defender than what we saw with him previously um, with the Eagles. Not that it's so. Yeah, I definitely feel differently. I was a little, I, I was I was wrong on my opinion on him last year with how low I was on him. I, I'm actually going to to second that. I I thought that he was a little bit better in coverage than Eric did, but I was very wrong on him as a run defender. I thought that he was mainly a guy that um, was like straight downhill, didn't scrape very well. Um, and and this is actually something that Eric, I believe you and I were both correct on. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but when you watch Alex Singleton, especially out in coverage, uh, the the big issue that you have with him is while he may be a tackling machine, when you're out in open space and if he takes bad angles, which he does in coverage a lot, especially against running backs out in the flat, he misses a lot of tackles. There were, I don't know, probably 15 or 20 different times last season where he had missed tackles out in open space. And that is a problem. But he does such a good job of coming back and, and just coming back. He comes back to make that next play. He's always out there fighting. He's always out there grinding. And he just continues to to fix and eliminate those mistakes as the game goes on. And down the stretch, when you need that big play from the, to go out and secure a big tackle to, to you know, eliminate that explosive play, the guy that's out there doing it is Alex Singleton. He, that dude's all over the football field. So I think, quite honestly, you're going to get Singleton and Jewel closer to about 800 snaps apiece. Drew Sanders about 350, somewhere around in there. And then my big question here is, let's go to Jonas Griffith, who I know that the last coaching regime was incredibly high on. And Keith's jumping back in here saying that I believe that Jonas Griffith will have a larger role and more snaps than most expect, north of 400 snaps. Eric... I don't know that he's going to get 400 snaps, but to see him at lower than 200, and I, I understand. I mean, there's there's only so many certain plays that you can go around. Um, obviously, we're talking, what, 2,168 total snaps is what um, Mike Clay has projected. So the math has to work out somewhere. This, to me, is interesting because this last coaching regime was very high on him, and he does have the athleticism to be a quality coverage player. He just was unfortunately hurt early in the in preseason last season with that dislocated elbow so what do you think of Jonas Griffiths and what kind of role Jonas Griffith excuse me and what kind of role is he gonna have well I would like an apology from his brother because he dang near knocked me down 
against in the San Francisco game. <laughs> uh, it, it was when Jonas Griffith got his interception. His brother was oh, there, and he came yeah, up and yeah. down and smacked me right in the back and about made me fall over onto the people in front of me, um, which wouldn't have been pleasant having me fall on somebody. Um, big guy. Uh, anyways, <laughs> I, I'm, I was a big fan of Jonas Griffith and, and entering last season. I was expecting a lot more, but he injuries just derailed it. He got in, hurt in training camp, mm-hmm. and then injury got hurt again earlier in the season. They got hurt again towards the middle of the season. Like injuries just never let up. I don't think he's close enough to Jewel Singleton and Sanders to take a lot of snaps out of from them unless they get hurt. I think the only way he sees four hundred snaps on defense is injuries. Mm-hmm. Not gonna because don't want anybody to get hurt. Um, I think he's going to stick around. I mean, he's still a really good special teams player um, for a special teams unit that has to absolutely turn it around. Um, So I think he's going to stick on this roster. I think there's a place for him. He's going to be a leader on special teams. Um, I'm still intrigued by his upside on defense, but can he stay healthy? Can he grow? Can he grow without getting a lot of snaps barring injury? No, that that's the big thing. And, and like like I said, he had the dislocated elbow. I believe it was in the very first preseason game last season. He had a knee injury and a hamstring injury. I believe is what it, it was. was. The first it was the first snap of the first game. Like that's right. That's right. yeah, yeah. That's absolutely you were absolutely correct. And then and then Michael Ojemudia in the Buffalo Bills game. I think halfway through the um through the first quarter had the exact same injury happen to him. I believe it was a touchdown pass. If it wasn't a touchdown pass, the very next play was. They both dislocated their elbow back-to-back games, like less than five days apart. So um, with, with Jonas Griffith, I'm with you. I, I think there's a quality rule for him on special teams, so you're not going to see a, the higher number of tackle totals. But I, I think that you – I want to try to see him get closer to the 200 snaps, maybe take a little bit off of Drew Sanders' plate as they kind of, uh, you know – acclimate him to the NFL level, acclimate him to the NFL speed of the game and stuff like that. And also we got to understand here, Drew Sanders, while he played very well at the off-ball linebacker position, he's done it before and as a high schooler. He's only played one full season starting as an off-ball linebacker. So he still has the just to learn the subtle nuances of the game. And doing that at the NFL level is not necessarily the best plan. At least Jonas Griffith does have that experience playing for multiple seasons in the NFL. So I think that he's going to eat into a little bit more snaps than 152, probably get him closer to the 200 range. But, I mean – I'm very excited to see what Drew Sanders can do. I, I just I'm I want more from Jonas Griffiths. Uh, Cristiano jumping back in here. Can't forget the high end resources, the free agency money and draft picks spent on Jewel Singleton and Sanders. That always matters, and and that's absolutely correct. I mean, uh, uh, Drew Sanders was a third round pick, number sixty seven overall. They 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 made him a priority guy. They probably should have actually moved up. They're fortunate that he was able to fall to them. But they they spent money on Josie Jewell a couple of seasons ago. He's on the last year of his deal. They just signed Alex Singleton to six million dollars on an average annual va- uh, value basis uh, this last offseason. So there's a lot of money and a lot of high investment in this in this linebacker room. So maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Jonas Griffiths doesn't see a bigger role. I just I, I think that you need to rely on that veteran presence a little bit more. And it doesn't matter the coach. It doesn't matter the general manager. They all care about the investment in the players. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, with that said, if Josie Joel goes out there and looks completely lost on the field, no, he's not going to be starting. Yeah, like th- there is a certain to a certain degree they care about it. Sean Payton, Bill Belichick. I mean, even greats from the past, like Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan. You know. Every single coach cares 
about the investment because you want your you want a positive return on your investment. And to get that, you got to get them out there on the field. You got to have them play. So, yeah, it, it all matters. Like what they, you know, the third round pick on Drew Sanders, the money spent on both Jewel and Singleton. It all matters. And that is why that those are going to be the first three to get the shot. Now, if they don't grab it, well, that's a different issue. And we see it every single year, every year. I mean, who's going to be the first, who's going to be the guys to, uh, um, who's going to be the guys get the most shots at wide receiver, the guys with the most investment. And, um, Keith Berman says, I think you guys don't take into account that Sean Payton picks the best players, regardless of how they got there. And that's just BS. Like he does factor that in. He can say he doesn't all he wants. You can go back and you can look at what he has done with the saints year after year after year. The people he's invested in get the opportunity first. Now it doesn't mean that if they fail to grab it, he sticks with them. Mm-hmm. Like no coach will do that. No coach will be like, "Oh, you're a first round pick," or not even first round pick. First round picks will probably get it, but oh, you're a third round pick and you're struggling in training camp. You're not getting it. We're not gonna we're not gonna start you. Like they'll do that, but that third round pick is gonna get the best opportunity yep. over the undrafted free agent, over the cheap free agent they signed, over the cheap veteran. Like it's just the way it is. It's the way the NFL is. You got to get that positive return in on an investment, and got to get them out there on the field to do that. It's all yeah. factored in. Yep. Um, now going on to the corners here, um, Patrick Stan. It seems like he's projecting about one thousand thirty snaps on defense, um, roughly, barring injury. Patrick Stan, Justin Simmons, the top linebacker, they'll typically play close to about ninety-five to one hundred percent snaps. Justin Simmons, especially if he is healthy. Patrick Stan, especially as long as he stays on the field. Mm-hmm. So it seems that's about what he's going, and we're just gonna just cover the whole defensive backs in general, the whole secondary. Um, wow, I didn't realize what time it was. Go ahead. Sorry. I would like to see. I mean, Kareem Jackson's snap count. I mean, we talked about this before we went live. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's laughable. Like yep. almost a thousand snaps for the guy. Snaps for the guy. If we see that, well, right off Caden Stearns, he's done. If Caden Stearns cannot beat out Kareem Jackson for the second starting spot, then he shouldn't be a starter in the NFL. Yep. Maybe he could be a number three guy, but Kareem Jackson, he showed last year, he is done. Um, he, he's slow. He's late to his on his rotations. Um, he was missing reads. He was late to late to trigger downhill. Like just so many issues with him. Um, so yeah, it, it he he's clearly lost a step. He's clearly on his way out of the NFL. Yeah. Caden Stearns entering his third year. He's gotta step in and do that. Yeah. Um, that's my only issue really with the safeties is Kareem Jackson, Caden Stearns. You want that flipped. I know you have an issue with Justin Simmons and the interceptions. He averages 3.8 interceptions a season over his career. 3.2 is fine. Factoring out of the things, I do think he ends up with four interceptions. That's about where I have him. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, again, hard to project and using in previous seasons into it and age and everything. I can get why Mike Clay has him at 3.2. Yeah. I, I just. We've seen such growth out of Justin Simmons in terms of going and getting the football from his from his rookie season onward. Obviously, as, as players grow, they get better in, in terms of you know um, finding opportunities and putting themselves in the right position. And while you and I agree, Justin Simmons does kind of luck his way into into some interceptions. There are some times where he does make some spectacular plays, knowing where he needs to be and putting himself in that right position to go and make that play. My thing is the last four seasons. 
Caden or Caden, Justin Simmons has had four interceptions, four interceptions, five interceptions, and then he led the NFL in interceptions last season, despite only playing in twelve total games. This defense, though, and this is where I this is where I kind of have um, the the hang up and qualms. This defense is obviously very much different uh, different under Vance Joseph than it was under Vic Fangio, where you're playing a lot of zone, you get your eyes on a lot of footballs. This is going to be more man coverage stuff. You're going to see Pastor Tan locked up and Damari Mathis locked up one-on-one on the outside, a lot of cover one, a lot of cover three. Justin Simmons is going to be that single high safety for the, the majority of the time. And it's not quite his best skill set because while he's rangy, he's not a player that has that single high versatility to be able to range from sideline to sideline like an Ed Reed. So 3.2, the more that I think about it, that's probably about right. I think he does end up with four this season. Um, but there, there's been people going out there saying Justin Simmons is going to lead the NFL in interceptions this year. And I don't think that that's possible at all. Like, I, If he gets five or six, I'll be very happy with that. I think four is probably about right for him. So I, I, as I, like I said, as I think more about it, that kind of refines my take. Now I'm not trying to come at you, Keith, and that's not what we're, what we're here to do, but dude, he jumps in here and he says, this was before his, uh, his comment on, um, what was the last one we just pulled up? Uh, the the best players, regardless. Keith has to say, say I hate to say it, but I think we uh, we see a step backwards for Patrick Sertan. He's been playing at such a high level. It only makes sense if he levels off or regresses at some point. Yeah, dog, that's not this year, man. Uh, we're going into a scheme that fits exactly what Pat Sertan likes to do, which is play in press man coverage and be in the hip pocket, be very physical at the point of attack, be very physical at the line of scrimmage, and then – not really, I don't want to say be grabby, but have your hand in the hip pocket of the wide receiver. This defense is the prototypical defense for what Pat Sertan does at the NFL level. This is going to be a huge season for him. This to me, I don't want to call him the breakout player because I got a different guy in mind, but this to me is going to be that season where everyone's like, all right, Pat Sertan, if he wasn't already top three, he may be the best cornerback in the NFL, period. I, 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 I understand where you're coming from to regress at some point. This is year three for him, dude. He's still growing as a player, and this is going to be the start of what you what you are going to see as one of the most dynamic cornerbacks in the NFL. Period. The question is, what quarterback or what cornerback lifespan is it going to follow? Is he going to be that short fuse that burns bright but fades quickly, mm-hmm. or is it going to be that long burning fuse that's not as bright but still, you know, just burns for longer? Mm-hmm. Um, with what he has done in his career so far, he has made a lot of great plays. Not trying to take away that, take that away from him whatsoever. Um, multiple great plays, but there are plenty of issues with his play, especially when it comes against the run. Mm-hmm. Well, when you have those issues against the run, you can typically find yourself being, you know, seeing a little bit more longevity. Um, I, I think we'll get another three, four years out of Patrick, Patrick Sertan before we start to see him decline. I, yeah. I, he's definitely still on the upward slope, but quarterbacks, they hit they hit that downward slope. Uh, Very fast. Relatively early. Everybody talks about running backs in age 30. Corners. Corners are similar to that. And corners, it also factors in, like, how long you've been in the NFL. Um, so he, he came in young, so we got some time with him still. Um, playing every single snap, obviously you want to do that. Um 1.7 interceptions. Obviously, you want more from him. Yeah, you want to see you want to see his number right there with Justin Simmons. Yeah, four, five, six. Dude, was a, dude was the ninth overall pick. Like you want you want more interceptions out of him. He's had six interceptions the last two years. I think expecting three, 
not projecting, expecting three should be the minimum, like for, for what he is. Um, Damari Mathis, Quan Williams, like, yeah, they're about right where I have them. I would like to see Riley Moss, you know, just completely eliminate Asang Bossy and Draymond Smith. Just yeah. take their snaps, fold them into Riley Moss. Well, and if that's what see, if Asang Bossy takes the field this year for the Broncos, something bad's gonna happen because he's not good. Well, didn't you know that he was top ten in coverage grade according to oh. Focus? <laughs> Uh, no, I, I'm with you. And so is Mike Clay, quite honestly. I'm going to get this uh, this question from Ants really fast um, here in just a second. But according to Mike Clay, he has Riley Moss playing 238 snaps. I think that's about right. 250 snaps, I, I mean, 250, 300 snaps, something like that from your third-round pick, a guy that you traded a future third-round pick to go up and get – He's obviously a priority for this Broncos defense. I actually do have an article up on him at milehighhuddle.com from last week. Uh, speaking of, I'm going to plug this one. Uh, Marvin Mims and his projected role for this Broncos offense is up there as well. It went up last night. So make sure you guys go up to milehighhuddle.com and check that out. But Riley Moss essentially has a Sang Bassey and Tremont Smith as obsolete players on this defense. Like Bassey's going to get in there for a, a handful of snaps. He got at 65. Tremont Smith at 22. I think Tremont Smith is a better option than the Sang Bassey. So flip those numbers for me. And then Tremont Smith, you might actually see him get some opportunity as a punt returner this season alongside Marvin Mims, where Tremont Smith with the ball in his hands is an elite player. So give him a little bit more opportunity than Bassey. Make Bassey that that kind of tail end of the roster guy. And if he does make this team, um, that's what he is, the tail end of the guy, a special teams kind of a player. Um, so, But I'm, I'm with you. I think Riley Moss is going to come in and have a huge role. GLP, Gary Palmer jumping back in for – We've got just a couple more minutes here uh, before we have to get out of here. But GOP says, well said, Lance. He is so good and is just getting into a groove talking about pass or 10. Uh, yeah, I, I think that PS2 is going to be, uh, like I said, I, if he's not already top three, he's going to cement himself there, if not the best cornerback in the NFL, because this scheme is just so perfect for what he does, for what his skill set is as a player. And Eric, you and I talked about this a while ago. I want to kind of expand on this conversation really fast. When we were watching Passer Tan and coming into the 2021 NFL draft, the, the big thing that you and I both were very questionable about is his change of direction, ability, and his footwork, um, specifically playing in off coverage. And while he didn't do that a whole lot under um, Ajiro Evero and, and Vic Fangio the last couple of seasons, he did still show that. But something that you pointed out to me, especially after his rookie season, was I, we misjudged his footwork. Do you want to elaborate on that just a little bit for us and what it means to translate into a press man coverage scheme? So my biggest issue with him was the hips. They were extremely tight. They mm -hmm. created hiccups when it came to flipping his hips, opening his hips, changing direction. Um, I underestimated his ability to make up for that with his footwork. I always liked his footwork. His footwork mm -hmm. was always clean. It was always good. Um, and with what we saw in college, he just didn't use that footwork to make up for those issues. I mean, and he didn't have to do that a whole lot. And that seemed to have been a priority of Christian Parker and Vic Fangio and Ed Donatel as rookie season to be like, okay, you're a little, you're a little tight when it comes to changing directions, use your footwork to make up for it. Um, just with like being a little bit quicker with your feet position, your positioning of your feet. So much can go into it to help cover up for the tightness of the hips when it comes to changing direction. Um, so that, that was just the focus of him, and it's really paid off. I mean, his rookie season, were there hiccups? Yeah, th th there were hiccups. There were hiccups last year with his play, even in coverage. Um, 
but he's still on that upper slope, as I was saying, and he's still improving his footwork and getting better with his footwork. His footwork by the end of last year was significantly better than where it was to start last year. Um, and from where it was when he was in college, like he's just continuing to continuing to grow and everything. Um, so that, that's just all it is. It's just, we always talk about having those tricks to make up for what you lack big thing for, you know, edge rushers with shorter arms or offensive tackles with shorter arms. Do you have, do you have the tricks up your sleeve to make up for that area that you're, you're lacking in? Um, can you, with offensive tackles, can you be quick enough to get an engage to where you are, where you, where you are minimizing the impact of your shorter arms, even if they are, you know, you're, even if your arms are 32 and a half inches and you're going against a guy who's 34, well, that inch and a half can be a significant difference um, when it comes to playing the game of football, especially, you know, they're in the trenches. So just having those tricks and everything and using your footwork to cover up your issues with their hips. I mean, it's just the way to do it as a corner. Yeah, that's really well said. And it's a really great breakdown. I'm glad you got to elaborate on that and, and, and kind of just help. I don't want to say, you know, that people don't know what we're talking about, but to, um, to, to break it down like that and make it easy to understand for everybody. It's a very, very good job, Eric. I do appreciate that. Um, last things last year. Thank well, you GLP for that. We, we appreciate you for jumping in and, and all your support, man. We, we really do appreciate that. What's up. I, I'm sure. I'm sure we'll have some dissertations written in the YouTube. Yeah. It's never a good idea to start off a comment by saying that these guys are effing idiots. So let's not, let's not do that anymore, <laughs> guys, please. It was not very fun to read, but uh, anyways, <laughs> last things last, we do got to get out of here, but we do have the question from Keith Brugman earlier in the show and shout out to Keith for joining us. And, and he does every single Friday. I, I wish we could get the opportunity to join him more on his show on Tuesdays. Um, but uh, he asked us earlier, who do you believe is the breakout player for this Broncos defense? Eric, I'm going to, um, I'm going to let you go first on this one. A song bossy. <laughs> don't don't you dare you can't you, no um, no no you cannot do that you cannot do that um mm, i don't know i don't really i'm not sure i have one but i, I mean i i'd resort to damari mathis because like he's the guy that so dj jones has kind of broke out a little bit zach allen's kind of broke out a little bit jewel singleton clark gregory Simmons, Sertan, like who's left? Damari Mathis. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I don't think maybe a depth guy, but who? Um, I think it was Arika and Henningsen. They're still gonna take a little bit of time. Um Baron Browning, maybe, like, but how often and how how consistent can he stay on the field? Mm-hmm. Um Quan Williams, like he's good. Like we saw how good he was. We saw how significantly better the defense was when he was on the field compared to when he was off the field um last year so yeah i'd have to say damari mathis because he's the only one that really you know fits everything to be that breakout player i i you you picked the same guy i was gonna say because damari mathis was one i i I went back and forth with this because i'm gonna throw the other name i had out there but i want to talk about damari mathis this dude we all know five penalties against the Chargers in his first game after um, after Ronald Darby went down with injury. And he just continued to grow and continued to get better, especially – I can't remember what game it was. I did a film breakdown about it. Go check it out, milehighhuddle.com. Um, but I, I broke down his tape 
In fact, we got uh, Luke Polglaze, our, our good buddy, uh, the coach from Indiana, Juniata College, joined in on a conversation with me talking about, you know, like, hey, it's a good piece. And I agree with a lot of the things you're saying. And he actually showed me some some more tips and tricks. He's like, you're absolutely correct on, you know, this kid's playing a lot better, you know. And I, so that was the one that I really wanted to point out with just the growth that we saw from that we saw from him over the course of the tail end of last season. Um, and just being a lot more consistent up to until that chargers game where he had a horrible game, but regardless, the guy that I'm going to shout out here is one that we didn't get to see a whole lot last season because he was hurt. Um, it had, uh, I believe it was a knee issue. Caden Stearns, man, I was very impressed with him as a rookie at, at the safety position. You're going to see him as the starting, the starting safety. I know Mike clay has, Kareem Jackson over 900 snaps this season, but that's just not going to happen. And if it does happen, then Caden Stearns didn't break out. But this dude has everything you want. He is a great athlete. He's a great tackler. He reads his keys relatively well. He's a smart, smart kid. Like I said, incredible athlete. Uh, 9.09, I believe, RAS score um, at Texas. This, this dude can do it all. He can play in the slot. He can play in the box. He can play single high if you need him to. He is, works better in, in, in two high safety looks, but he at least has enough range and athleticism to go after and get the football. I think Caden Stearns is the guy you really need to watch out for on this defense. If he can stay healthy, he can be a player that is going to really revolutionize this, this Broncos secondary and just take it to that next level. Uh, last things last year though, we got Michael Ronquillo jumping in here late at the, at the bell. Mike, dude, why are you late dog? Why are you late? You're supposed to be the first one. He's in been, here. he's been, uh, he was in here earlier. Oh, I didn't see, I, I missed the comment. I do apologize. My I'm, I'm kidding, man. I'm kidding. It's always great to have you in here and great for your, we were definitely grateful and, and appreciative of your support. It jumps in at the last minute saying great show tonight, Lance and Eric on Dove Valley deep divers, go Broncos and Buckham. I uh, also jumps in and says Broncos country. Enjoy your weekend. And that's where we're going to sign off here, man. As as Michael says, enjoy your weekend, everybody. Thank you all for joining us on Dove Valley Deep Divers Podcast. You guys can find us on Twitter by following me at Lance S underscore MHH for Eric at Eric Trickle. Also, guys, while you are at it, please make sure you guys are following at Mile High Huddle. That's the main mother account where you guys find breaking news and analysis regarding your Denver Broncos, film breakdowns, opinion articles, just pretty much anything Broncos related. You're going to find it at Mile High Huddle. Uh, Facebook supporters, make sure you go to facebook.com slash, uh, forward slash mile high huddle pod. It's a great way to keep the, uh, uh, keep the conversation going, join in with everybody and just have a good time. It's great. It's a great community we have over there on Facebook and we want everybody to join in on that and just kind of, you know, continue the conversation and have fun with us. Um, Folks, if you're not willing and able to do so uh, in terms of super chats, going to the merch store, buying products and stuff like that. Times are rough. We understand. It's not a big deal. But everybody should be doing these three things down at the bottom of your screen. And if you're listening uh, after the fact on the uh, Mile High Huddle podcast page on Apple, Spotify, um, anywhere you get you guys podcast, subscribe, please, to Mile High Huddle. It helps out a lot. Like every single video and article you guys see across all social media platforms. And if you love it, love the content, what we're doing here, make sure you share it out in front of as many Broncos fans as possible. Because without your guys' support, we could not do what we do best, which is cover your Denver Broncos. Now, with that, Eric, I always have to ask you this before we get out of here. Any last words, man? Yeah, if we miss any... Any stars from Facebook? I want to apologize. We didn't have Scott here with us tonight to yell at us not to miss you guys. So, and we can't see them with, on the stream. So, we apologize if we missed any of that. We appreciate you guys. We appreciate everybody who donates, everybody who supports Smile Eye Huddle. Um, and I hope we get to see a lot of you guys at the meet and greet 
for the Green Bay Packers game, October 22nd. Yeah. I'll be there. Lance will be there. Nick will be there. Chad, Zach, Scott. Yeah, Carl's going to be there too, from what I understand. Like pretty much, pretty much the 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 entire podcast host. Everybody's going to be there, from what I understand. So make sure you guys are there and in attendance. Even if you don't get to go to the game, at least come out, come down to the parking lot, come and hang out before the well, game. Say hi, have if, a lot of fun. We, we we do a whole big tailgate. It's it's always a it's always a blast. Well, I'll be buying a uh, you know I'm going to be taking getting a ticket for Lance and I and my brother who's going. So if you guys uh, impress me enough. I mean, I'll happily give you Lance or my brother's ticket. <laughs> you, you can have mine, damn it! I'll just go find. I'll just go down to the bar and have a beer. <laughs> excuse me, a, a pop. We'll have a pop and and just have a uh, have a great, a great, great time. Regardless, I, I can't wait to see everybody there. Um, also, guys, last uh, last thing here. I know I said last things last like four or five different times, but still, uh, last thing here. You all, please do stay safe this weekend. Um, obviously, it's 4th of July weekend. Everybody's going to be traveling. Have a safe and happy 4th of July. Please do not drink and drive. Make sure you guys take care of yourselves. Keep all your digits, all your fingers and toes, and keep yourselves out of jail. Please stay safe and take care. Eric, uh, anything else? No. Have a good weekend. Enjoy the 4th of July. Be safe. All righty, guys. You all stay safe and take care. Have a great rest of your weekend. Happy 4th of July. And as always, go Broncos. We'll see you guys same time, same place next week. Anything else? No. Have a good weekend. Enjoy the 4th of July. Be safe. All righty, guys. You all stay safe and take care. Have a great rest of your weekend. Happy 4th of July. And as always, go Broncos. We'll see you guys same time, same place next week.